Hello, my name is Chris Bay and welcome to a special episode of my podcast on the fourth official as I'll be interviewing and an athletics goalkeeping coach, John Connolly. John, welcome. Thanks for agreeing to do this. How are you, mate? I'm all good, Chris. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Appreciate it. Oh, I've been looking forward to this for a wee while, mate. I know I've been trying to arrange it for a wee while and the stars are quite aligned. So, um, no, I'm really, really looking forward to this. Um, let's just talk about, obviously, your, your career before you get into kind of goalkeeping coaching. Yeah. Uh, you started off down south at Ipswich. Would that be with, um, I, I, I'm kind of trying to put it down to the girl, but would that be with George Burley as a manager? It was, yes. It was. Um, George was a gaffer down there. Was, uh, that came about when I was I was actually with St. Johnston before I was 14, uh, playing reserve football and that there. Um, I'd been invited down. It's like, when you're younger, you don't sign many buddies, so every club in the country is trying to get everybody in for a wee look at them. So I think most boys my age were all the same. They'd jump about different clubs, like school holidays, go and train with them for a week or so. Yeah. Um, just stuff like that. So I, I was doing that. I was doing that at Switch. I was doing at Leeds. Um, obviously, it was between me and Paul Robinson. No, no doubt they picked Paul Robinson. <laughs> but um, at Switch, well, one of the ones that just kept on at me, I was in with Hearts, Hibs. Uh, Morrow, everybody when I was younger, but I, I liked St. Johnson, but um, when Ipswich came in, they were persistent, and to be fair to Paul Sturrock, he was my gaffer up at St. Johnson. It was him I actually said, he, was, um, he wanted to keep me, but for my career, he thought I'd be better off taking the opportunity to go down south, which was fair play to him. Um, so I took that opportunity and ended up down there. You probably done the right thing because was it Alan Main that was a goalkeeper at St Johnson at the time? It was, but um, they had uh, Math, David Matheson and Stephen Robertson were there as well with him. But uh, at the time, Stephen Robertson had a bad injury, and I think uh, David Matheson was getting injuries and out on loan. So I was playing reserve football for, I say, if I was fourteen, I played my first ever reserve game. Jesus Christ! So. Um, they, St Johnston showed a lot of trust me and I always played above myself with him as well and I played 18s when I was 14 as well in old uh, BP Youth Cup and stuff like that um, so I always played above myself there um, it's just that I don't think you would have ever got the first team opportunity because I think Alan Main's oh, playing the now <laughs> Alan Main was frightening absolutely frightening great guy as well um, brilliant to learn for and I learned a few harsh lessons with him as well um, I can even get back to a pre-season. I'd stopped halfway through a drill. I was absolutely knackered. Mind I'm only a wee boy. Um, long story short, I get through at school in fourth year. Wasn't well, best behaved. So Sturrock says I wasn't sitting about the house. So I was up there Monday to Friday, full time, for I was 15. Uh, just training every day. And it was pre-season. And I just stopped during this drill. I was absolutely knackered. Physically drained. Remember, I'm doing this with the first team. This was like new to me, and it absolutely went through me. But it was a bit, never quit. Never gave in. You keep going, just screaming at me. But I needed that. Um, I think that's a big part of the game that is missing now. To be fair, I was actually going to say that. Like you, you, you probably learnt a lot just for that kind of one dressing down. But never quit. Never quit. That, that was the lesson. It wasn't even just a football lesson. It's like. We things I, I you know yourself. I talk about it quite a lot on Twitter and stuff. Is there's a lot of life lessons and stuff like, like doing the chores, but you know, why PTS players don't do it anymore? 
Aye, I know that's that's what I've got to say. It's more of a kind of well, we're living in an age of human resources and, and employment rates, even for young oh, folks. And, and it's bad now. Boys are just pampered, and that's why when they quit football now, they don't know what to do because they don't know how to act in a work environment because they just they've never experienced it. They've just had everyone laid handy to them. When we were younger, you had to graft for them. Even if you didn't do your job right, you didn't play on a Sunday or a Saturday. So you may, had to make sure everything you done was to a standard and take pride in what you were doing. See, it's, it's interesting because see every ex-professional football player run about your age or maybe a wee bit older than you when they talk about when they were young players and, and all the chores they had to do, like cleaning boots and, and sweeping the stairs and the stands, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Never ever hear any of them say, I hated it. I, well, they probably hated it at the time, but they always look back and go, that kind of made me as a person. That gave me the skills to go on to other things, whether it's a new club or, or, or different employment. Well, a million percent. It's not that. People don't realise either. See, when you're, you're doing your chores, you're actually working as a team. You want to make sure everybody else does their job right as well. So you're communicating stuff like that and you're taking pride in your work. And you do, you take pride in, you take care. It's life skills. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's lost now. Uh, uh, it's weird that it's lost from the game because, as you say, like it's you, you see a lot of young players coming through, um, and they, you know they've got all the skill in the world, but the, their attitude in terms of you know work rate application that that's always the one thing that's missing. And people say you can't teach that, but you can because that's where you yeah. get grounding from. And I'll get back to the chores again. See, you want to make sure you've done your chores right. You want to make sure. The, the, the first team manager seen that you were grafting and doing everything you can behind the scenes to get to that first team. There was always a, a desire to do everything good behind the scenes to get to the first team. That's, that's the big thing that's lost. You know, there's, I think that's where some of the young boys' desires lost. There's no... I don't know how the best way to describe it. There's just no that ground anymore, that, that determination to go and do that be shown to be doing stuff away from just on the training pitch. Oh, absolutely, no, I agree with you. So when when you went down to Ipswich, what age was you have been? 16, straight out of uh, school, well, legally to go and work, so 16, I went down there. How, how uh, was that? Were you there yourself, or did, did you, any of your family go away? Just... Oh, no, I went down myself, uh, stayed in Diggs, a uh, lovely lady in her family. Um, it was actually one of the first team players, Wayne Brown's, Mrs. E's family so I went and stayed with them they were lovely, absolutely brilliant um, just before I signed I went down to get around different like, uh, digs and stuff to pick my own digs um, so that one just stuck out for me they were a lovely family I wanted for nothing it was a bus ride away but it wasn't until I signed that I realised the digs that I'd picked I was miles away from the rest of the youth team boys, so when they were going out after training and stuff and meeting up, it was hard for me because I was a double bus to get to training and that in the morning and get back from training. So you were a wee bit kind of isolated? I was, I, yep. So d- did you have many dealings with George Bully? Because uh, George Bully, he's, he's a bit of a, a complex character in the Scottish game because he's it's kind of harsh to say, but... He's a bit of a joke figure now because of what he what he done at Scotland, but people forget at Ipswich he done an almighty job there. Yeah, and it was a brilliant gaffer. It was, it was good for me. Uh, I'll give you a wee story, a prime example of him. We got um, there's a thing called a gold card for a nightclub down there. Mm-hmm. So 
because I was so far away for everybody, I used to go out quite regular and use my card all the time. But being young and stupid, you're not realising every time you're using that card, it's registered in the club knowing you're out. So he's, after a, the first few months, he's he's pulled me in. He's going, I see you settled in well. I was like, aye, aye, I'm enjoying that. He's like, I can see that. So I'm like, I'm just thinking he's, he's seen me on the training ground. I'm doing well. I'm enjoying myself. Then he pulls out the last day. Every time I've been out, I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> but it was brilliant. He's like, I don't mind it. He's like, as long as it doesn't affect your football and you're out and you're getting used to the place, he's like, that's, that's good with me. He's like, I've not got an issue with it. He's like, but just rain it in a wee bit. Once or twice you're out um, the night before a game, I was like, well, I'm not drinking or nothing. <laughs> he's like, it doesn't matter. I was like, right. So that was a wee lesson learned there as well. But he done it in a good way. I was going to say, because he could have, you know, met him. He absolutely roasted me, but he didn't. He just gave it the wee jokingly, I see you're settling in well. and So that, that that was a good thing as well. It was He knew that boys were away from home and stuff, so he, he wasn't got exactly hammer you, and then you feel more isolated, if that makes sense. No, no, it does, it does. Um, who, I can't even think for the life of me. Who were the goalkeepers, like the first-team goalkeepers for Ipswich? I was snookered. It was Richard Wright. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> so he was just, he was flying at the time. He was still young. He was only... 18, 19 at the time, and he'd already been playing a season, two seasons before I went down, and he was getting touted to everybody down south. It was phenomenal. He's, he's younger, he's younger years. He was absolutely phenomenal before that Arsenal move. People don't realise how good he was. Um, again, the Arsenal thing. People get tagged on with the Arsenal thing. Hank is again. We'll go back to that. Hank is a joke figure. I, I've said to many people, he's the best technically. The best I've ever trained with, and I've trained with the likes of Gorham and Gilles Rousseff, loads to name, but he's the best that I've ever worked with. Yeah, no, he was at a young age, he was absolutely phenomenal. And he had feet, he had hands, he was, he was just phenomenal. I, th- I think with, with Richard Wright, I think it was more injuries that, that kind of done him. But... It was, aye, it was. Um, but he done all right, he was that. Because so <laughs> he actually became the Man City kind of third, fourth keeper for quite a long time. Uh, he's, he's done no Um you, you eventually moved back to Scotland. W- was that a case of a wee bit of homesickness? Or? It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I say, what happened was I get picked for a Scotland uh, set up. So every couple of months we'll come up for meetings down at large. So you come up for like three, four days at a time for a meet or you go over to like, say, Germany and we're going over there and playing games. So every time I was coming up for the hours, I was like getting into Glasgow Airport and straight down there. Mm. And then it was just getting, the more I was coming up, the more I was getting fed up that I couldn't just nip out and see anybody. Uh, yeah. Don't get me wrong, a few times a few of my pals drove down to Lards and stuff to come down and see me or whatever. And then the more I was doing it, it was just getting to me. Then one Christmas we get two weeks off and I came up the road and Albion Rovers were full time at the time. And my pals, all my pals are locals, I'm local Albion Rovers as well. Um, so they were, I just asked if I could get in trenches to keep myself ticking over. Mm-hmm. So they went and asked Gaffer, Gaffer was like, no problem. So I went in and trained with them. And then Gaffer at the time was Vinnie Moore. Then he was all over me, dropping the wee ones. Oh, you play my first team when you're a young boy and you, because I've always played above myself and at Ipswich, I was playing at my own 
level, which was the first time I'd experienced that as well. So I was getting a wee bit frustrated, if I'm being honest. Um, I just found, I'm not being big head, I just found the youth games very, very easy. Yeah. And it's just me being honest, I'm not being big head or anything. Um, so obviously when somebody's, when you're a young boy, somebody's saying, oh, play first team football, I was all over it now. I was like, oh, get to see my pals or whatever. So they'd end up doing a deal with Ipswich, they paid 10 grand for me to come uh, sign there. So that's how that came about. See, when you look back on it, do you, do you have any regrets? Because obviously... Massive. Aye, Massive. You, you could think to yourself... What if? Aye. It might not have worked out at Ipswich, but you could have still found a, a decent club down south and you'd have been obviously on far more money. Aye, as I say, it's the, I've, I've said it many a times, um, it's the biggest regret in my life is no sticking it out. Yeah. Uh, but... Again, if it didn't happen, I wouldn't have played in the Premier League tomorrow. Who knows what would have happened right. elsewhere. So I've, I've, I can add that to my CV. I've played in every league in Scotland. Well, why? Yeah, why? Because looking through your CV, it's, it's quite difficult to pick out just about <laughs> all of them. But obviously you were at Albion Rovers and then you, you, you took a step down to the juniors before you eventually made your move to Motherwell. So, well, I, I'll tell you a story behind that one. I bet... Um, I don't know, you'll probably know a wee bit with your dad's background. Uh, the old junior rules were they used to be able to retain players at the end of the season. Yeah. It didn't matter if your contract was up, they could still retain you. Yeah. I was on a four-year contract at Albion Rovers and after the first year, Vinnie Moore had left and a guy, Billy McClam, came in and we'd clash right away. Uh, first thing he said was, uh, young goalies don't play my team, I'm going for an experienced goalie. So we fell out for day one. Um, so so basically, without even looking at you, he's already, no, he's already made his mind up. Um, so my mate was actually the manager of Fornywood, which is another local team to me. And it's him at Sasty. He's like, listen, you, you've still got three years in your deal. He's like, but if you come and get out on loan to us and stay with us to end the season, he's like, you'll automatically become our player. He's like, I don't think they know that. I was like, well, that's a good wee roundabout way of getting out of this. Yeah. Or else I was, I was snookered there for another three years. Um, so it turned out, that's how it turned out. And then through playing with Fornywood, Murrow came out and seen me and invited me in for a week's training and stuff. And Billy Davis wanted to sign me right away. So it worked out well. So how, how did that come about, that Motherwell's interest in you? They actually came, uh, we were playing Peters Hill. Fornywood were like bottom division. We weren't a great, they weren't a great side back and they were in the bottom division when Peter Hull, that's when Peter Hull were flying. Uh, we got them in one of the cups and it's actually a moral scout. I know him, Paul Smith. He used to be at Celtic now as he was a young boy. And he was there to watch our centre mid, a boy Brian Jack that I went to school with. And I ended up having a game in my life and he's like, <laughs> asking my situation. He's like, if we can fancy a week's training, I was like, I don't do that. I wasn't working at the time or anything. So I went in, done a week's training, and the rest is history. I got a three-year deal that uh, offered basically right away. So you, you went to Mullerwell, and it was quite an exciting time to be there, because obviously John Boyle was bankrolling the club, and Billy Davis was the manager. He, he must have been early 30s. Andy Gorham was there. Stevie Woods was there. Um it must have been some experience just walking in that door, seeing the likes of Gorham and Woods, you know. It's brilliant. As I say, I was probably a wee bit spoiled. I, again, I've been brought up in the game where 
I was around people like that for a young age. Um, but the likes of Andy Gorham, that was my hero, I'm a big Rangers fan. And getting into what we are hero, can, what more do you want? And Stevie Woods as well. Even then you knew Stevie Woods was got to be a top, top coach because he was absolutely amazing for me. Um he's a guy I'll never speak highly enough of. Um is Stevie Woods someone you still keep in touch with? I've not spoke to him for a while, but over the years we've, we've talked now and then. He's, um, he's at Celtic now and Scotland, aye. so he's pretty much at the top of his game in the goalkeeping. He's, pr- he's probably one of the best in the country. Easily, he was, as I say, I cannot say one bad word about him. He was, he was brilliant for me, absolutely brilliant. Um, some, he just took a lot of time for me, which I appreciated. I used to go and meet him after training. For lunches and stuff, he used to invite me out for lunch. Same with Gorham, I used to go up to him when he had Maisie's bar. I was there every Friday with him. <laughs> Doesn't surprise <laughs> me. <laughs> I, uh, I used to go a lot with the goalie, so we still keep in contact to this day as well. How how, how was Gorham in a purely human level? Like it was brilliant, but it just it's just fucking. It was a maverick. <laughs> the first day of pre, it must be a pre-season thing. The first day of pre-season we go to Merle trained out at DL Park. So we've all went down. I've got my trainers not on, ready to just go and do the runs. Woodsy's got his trainers on. Goalie starts in with his boots and his gloves and shouts me over. So I go, well, I must need to go with him then. So I put my boots on, my gloves on, and I'll start walking over to the big goal with a bag of boys with a goalie. Then Billy Davis comes up. Fucking shouts out, where the fuck are you going, John Connolly? I was like, oh, Jesus, fuck. So I've got to walk away, and then Gorham's going, where are you going? You're here with me. So I'm caught in between. This is my first day pre-season, just signed my deal. And I'm caught in between fucking Andy Gorham asking me what I'm doing, and then the manager, you're going, what do you do here? <laughs> then it, so I went to walk away from Gorham. I'm going, right, I've got to go with the manager. And then as soon as I get halfway to Davis, Gorham's shouting. The two of them are just shouting abuse at each other. <laughs> Davis just goes fuck off with him I was like Jesus Christ man some position isn't you first because <laughs> like obviously Gorham arrived at Mullerwell after his career at Rangers had pretty much finished and everybody had written uh, Gorham off as, as, as being finished obviously injuries and lifestyle and stuff like that wasn't quite it's frightening. frightening but he actually ends up at Man U after, after that like, what I, I can remember that day as clear as day it was, it was just another training day. Um, it no showed up, but that wasn't unusual for a goalie. That's how I was always in the first team. <laughs> wasn't unusual at all. There's times, I can tell you times we went to Ibrox, um, where I'm hanging them on the bench because um, there was one game that I think Woodsy was injured. I was on the bench. And then we'd, Gorham never turned up on the Friday or they had an argument with Davis again on the Friday, something like that. And then on the Saturday we're at Ibrooks and I'm going, fuck, I'm playing here. The full team's arrived and they're still not signing him. So you're, I'm only 18, 19 at the time. Your arse starts to go a wee bit. I'm not going to lie. And then the next thing he just strolls in. <laughs> he just, just gets plays right away. <laughs> I was like, thank fuck. I think Rangers beat us about 6-0 that game. And Alberts and Moles and that's good. Yeah, I, I, I remember that game not... not specifically in terms of watching it, I remember, well, I, I know about that game because apparently Gorham absolutely went off his nut because he was embarrassed about conceding that, that amount of goals. Aye, he did. 
And that, but, that's no the flip side, I was sitting on the bench going, fuck, fuck, that's no me. <laughs> but, but that shows you just how the, the, the competitive animal in Andy Gordon, because obviously Rangers is his team, and they've just put six by him. You, you would think you would think that he's like, oh, fair enough, my team's... See, see the two seasons, he was probably... His best games were probably against Rangers, if I'm being honest. Rangers and Celtic. Yeah, it's uh, it's just... The, the big games were, were, were Andy Gorham excelled the most. But when he, when he went to Man U, like, we, we all heard the stories about how um, Alex Ferguson phoned him when he hung up on him because he thought it was McCoy's or, That's or, right, aye. Yeah. But were, were you surprised that that move came about? Totally. As I say, at the first, I'd reckon I... Uh, Again, he's not turned up to training. However, nobody said it at training either. Cause it wasn't unusual for him not to be at training, as I say. Um, so you get him in the afternoon after training, you turn on Sky Sports News, and there's his big mush at Man U. You're going, so you start, I start my message, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> he just wrote back, have no clue. I can remember it as clear as day. <laughs> so I think it ever happened so quickly is, is uh, what I can remember. It was, it was basically overnight it all happened. Uh, in terms of Gorham and Woods, what would you say you learnt the most for the two of them? Gorham, um, probably a believe in yourself, if I'm being honest. But if I'm being brutally truthful, I learnt more for Stevie Woods. Yeah, no, that honestly that wouldn't surprise me because obviously Aye. at that stage in Gorham's career, football was probably secondary to him. Um, <laughs> and probably throughout both their careers, uh, Woods and Gorham, you would probably say Woods was the more professional throughout his whole career anyway. Oh, definitely, he was a fit. He uh, was a fitness freak, always in the gym, first one of first ones in, um, doing runs, whatever. Um, always. You could just tell he was going to be a top coach back then. When you look back at now, look back at uh, we finds like came back to your memory and stuff, and you go, that's that was written out on then how good a coach he was going to be. As I say, he was amazing for me. And the Gorham moved to Man U worked out better for me because it's for some weird reason Davis played me in front. He would say, uh, yeah, I was going to, I was going to come on to that. You obviously made your 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 Scottish top league debut. How, how much that have been for you? Like, were, were you nervous or were you excited? I generally didn't know I was playing until that day. Um, I went out the Friday night, which I'd done most Fridays. <laughs> um, <Month once. laughs> on the bus on the way up to Paradise, um, I slept uh, all the way up. I was shattered. But, um, I was just expecting, because it was all 21 thing, you had to have two 21s on ah. the bench. So I was it was always me on the bench. He just went, so he had more options, uh, outfield players. Um, so I'm just thinking, we're going to sit on the bench. Then I can always remember Alan the kit man, he'd put my chairs out first. But he'd done that a few times, he like eyebrows Ibrox Park, he just, just as a wind-up, just a bit of banter between the, and I was like, no bother, I'll. And sure enough, he, uh, Gaffer had the team out and played it, I was starting. How, 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 did you, how did you feel when he said your name? A wee, wee bit of shock to be fair. See how he done his sink in. <laughs> I, I, I think I was just sitting there on a wee days. I don't even think I took it in at that point. I can remember a warm up as clear as day. I would say it was warming me up, and 
honestly, I couldn't catch a cold if I tried. <laughs> it's all, I was so bad. I was all over the place. Um, then Woodsy was just talking to me, giving me a wee, the pep talk to us, telling me to relax and stuff. And you see that, that that is class up because no many keepers who are as experienced as Stevie Woods when they're dropped for a younger keeper would actually care about that that younger keeper's debut. Like, uh, for example, to be honest, I still believe to this day he had the same me playing. I still believe that to this day. That's... I still think Billy Davis had the conversation with him um, for me to play. Oh, that 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 is that is class. How how did you go on that day? I get man in the match. We get beat one 0 but I end up getting man in the match. I had an absolute world day, fair. And then the following week against Aberdeen, I get at home my home debut. I get man in the match again at that one. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So you you were at Motherwell at a time where um it, well it was a pretty exciting time to be a fan, I suppose. Yeah, so um, big big names there as well. Cause were you with Roberto Martinez? Aye, Bobby was there, yep. And uh, Jed Brannan, I think he was. Aye, Jed, Jed was class. Jed was what a player he was. Don Goodman? Don was there, yep. Aye, so, you know, you, again, there, there are no massive names in terms of football players. Obviously, Martinez went on to be a fantastic manager, but there, there were still established players that had, had phenomenal careers down south and here they yep. were here. But that sort of started to catch up in Mullerwell. Were you there when administration happened? I just left before it. Um, but it was on the cards, wasn't it? Aye, aye. It's been on the cards for a while, to be fair. How, how, um, how did that That's how it likes of me, Faddy, Stephen Pearson, and all that, that. That's how they were starting to go with the younger boys. Mm. How, how was McFadden as, as a young boy? Was he just exactly as expected? Gallus, arrogant? Yeah. Different cut. Aye. It was arrogant, but no in a bad way. A good arrogant. He, he, believed, he believed in himself. And what I liked about him is similar to me was when he went in with the with first team, he didn't give a fuck who they were or what they'd done. He went in to do his own thing. And that, that was the way I was. A lot of people liked it and a lot of people don't like it, if you know what I mean. Um, but everybody loved it. He had the confidence to go in there and do his thing. He was nutmegging first team players and they were trying to give him a bit back and he He'd always look after himself. You see, the, the thing is with McFadden, he's an interesting case because, see, for me, um, I, I I was brought up in a, a council estate um, pretty much the same as, as Faddy. And oh. for me, especially in Scotland, they're always the best players. And I think now we're at a, a situation where you don't get many of them now because parents are priced out of football at youth level because they need to travel I've, had, I've had this conversation a few days ago with somebody. Um, but there's so many elements. You don't get that sort of player anymore as one, as you say, priced out of the game. Um, but you can flip it back to when I was growing up. I was talking on Twitter the day, a few boys I grew up with, we all lived within two streets each other. We used to get home for a school bus, sprint home to get our football stuff on and get to a local park to get the best goal bit to play on. And we'd be there until you couldn't see anymore every single day in life. And young boys right now, wouldn't they be allowed to do that by their clubs? No, no, they've got to stay in or you don't get injured and all that. That's, that's another thing. I used to play sometimes a Friday night, a Saturday morning with your school, a Saturday afternoon with your club, and you'd be playing another uh, a pro youth club on a Sunday afternoon. You're playing three, four games 
every weekend. You're lucky now if boys are playing a game every week. I know. It's 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 crazy the shift in um culture basically from back then to now and I don't think we're any better off. I think we're producing a better standard of player now. But as you say I think we're producing less, if I'm being honest. Well, I think technically we're, we're, we're producing better, but as what we spoke about at the start, the attitude, the determination, the drive within, the hunger, that yeah. for me is all gone, and they're every bit as important as the technical aspects. Because I look at a premiership down south and you're going, young youth team players, youth team players never done anything in the game, they're all getting thousands of pounds a week, and you're going, what do they need to work towards? Up here you were getting... Back, even back then, I was doing so. Boys were on YTS money, which was peanuts. So you wanted to do better. You wanted to improve to get that next contract. No, it's you're right. It's <clears throat> it's madness. Um, obviously, uh, your your manager at the time was Bolly Davis. Just a wee chat about him now. Yeah. He he's had a fantastic managerial career down south with Derby and, and Nottingham Forest, but it sort of ruined his reputation a lot especially his second spell at Nottingham Forest where he became a let's just call it as it, it became a bit of a maniac really man like he just he lost the plot and he's he's described himself as being unemployable now because of that spell obviously he was very outspoken his behaviour in terms of the journalist uh, the journalists the local journalists he used to film them and ban them and all this kind of stuff ah but can he realise he's at himself, but again, that could be pressure. He'd just been, you know, right. pressure down there. He's down there, pressure's a lot more than it is up here. Because right. it's so money orientated. Yeah. But see, see, when he was a manager at Motherwell, could, could you see that he was going to be a top quality coach? Because I've, I've watched an interview with him. I actually went to school with Bully's son, because Bully's from Paisley, as am I. Yeah. Um, Bully got the job at Preston just after Motherwell as the assistant manager and then that's when the family left Paisley to go down to Preston and I, I always followed Bully Davis's career um, and then when he was out of job, I, I don't know if it was between the the first spell at Nottingham Forest and the second spell but there was an interview with him and he, he took him he took him into like his, his office and there was like literally four or five computers with all this data and he was obsessed with just the most minimum amounts of detail because it would make a massive difference. Like, oh, yes, definitely. Was he like that back then? I'll use me as an example. Um, as I say, I haven't anymore. Well, I always struggled with my weight. And I went in. Um, you know John Spencer's his brother-in-law. That's right, right. Uh, so Spenny had come back to America. And this is a way back, what, 99, 2000, 2001 maybe. Um Spenny was doing the Herbalife stuff at the time, before it's even years before it came out, people started doing it here. He was already into all that nutrition stuff, which wasn't really big over here at that point. And the gaff, Billy Davis, had, he was like into it as well. So for me as an example, he gave me a set weight to get to, and he says, your ability is no in question. Everyone about you is no in question. He's like, Get your weight down to that. He's like, I'll play you in that first team. So he always gave you a goal. Yeah. You always had something to work towards. So it'd be fair to him. When Gorham did leave, it was only like two weeks before that I'd made that weight. Um, and sure enough, he stopped it. No, that's no. See that that's man management at its very best. You know, as you say, he's given you a goal. 
and the rewards are, are reaching that goal are obviously first-team football, and as you say, that, To get to that way, I take him in at... The boys didn't start till 10 o'clock, so I was in at quarter to eight every morning with Mickey Weir, who was a youth team coach at the time. Yeah. Um, Mickey played with Hibs, not well-known, Scottish game. So I used to come in, Mickey Weir says to me one day, he's like, See if you come in every morning, he's I'm in the early. He's like, if you come in every morning, I'll go a wee fat burner run with you. Just a wee half hour slow as you like run, but it burns the fat. Yeah. So I've done that for a good couple of months. And obviously, I got down to my weight. I was in great shape. And it'd be fair to Billy Davis. He'd seen that. He knew that I was doing it. And as soon as I got down to that weight, Goro Mighty Man knew that's The odds just seemed to click in. Yeah. And, he, and he stuck to what he said. So you could never, ever doubt it. No, absolutely. If, if if he's a man, he's word, then that 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 just shows you that. It's yeah, still to use young boys. His his record shows like Fadi, Piero, Keith Lasley, Hamill, mm. all boys that have done very very well at the game due to him believing in them. No, absolutely. Um, so obviously the the it came to the end of your time at Motherwell. How how did that come about? Terry Butcher, basically. Um, Davis had him and I don't know what there's a lot going on at the club at that point. This is just before it all kicked off. Um, Terry Butcher and Eric Black had got the job. That's right. Yeah. So I'd played against Aberdeen on a Saturday. Um, so if you played the first team on Saturday, you were off a Sunday. Um, you came in and done a recovery basically on a Monday. Um, and the rest of the boys all played with under 21s on a Monday night, but they would train the Sunday. So I've had like, missed calls on my phone on the Sundays for a number that I didn't know. So obviously, you blanket. I was out Saturday night celebrating my home debut, whatever. And then I think it was my boys had phoned me and says, the um, new gaffers trying to get hold of you, but I didn't know they'd got the job. Social media wasn't big and all that back then. Um, so I didn't know they had the job. So I answered the phone, it was Terry Butcher. Where are you? You're meant to be in trainers. Well, nobody's told me. He's like, I've been trying to phone you. I was like, well, it's my day off. So that happened. He's like, you've got an hour to get in here. So I went over, had a chat with him and introduced yourself. He's like, you're playing the 21s tomorrow night. I was like, well, I played yesterday. He's like, no, you're playing the 21s. I was like, fair enough. So I went and played the 21s game on the Monday night. And then at half time, with a young boy in, he's only 15, in for school, um, and Terry, and he was sitting next to me, and Terry Butcher was absolutely laying into this boy, and the boy's nearly in tears, and, I'm, and it was borderline bullying. It probably was bullying the way, it was just OTT, it was no something I, so I like, had a water bottle in my hand, so I bounced it off the ground, and it's come back up and hit him, so me and him <laughs> have had to get split up. He's getting all that, you'll never kick him off this club again, and all that, and then make me go and train with the youth team. Or that palaver, but I didn't bother me. I was like, right, no hassle. And then he sent me down to Carlisle on loan for a, a month. Was it a month or two months? I think it was a month. Uh, gaffer down there was a boy, Roddy Collins. Brilliant. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. So the first couple of days I was down there, I was travelling back and forward. And then Roddy's pulling me aside, he's like, listen, I've spoke to Terry Butcher, he wants you as a punishment to travel up and down every day. He's like, but we've got a wee, like, they had a house just outside the stadium where all the boys stayed. He's like, you're more than welcome to stay overnight here and whatever. He's like, but just to let you know, he was wanting you to travel up and down every day. So that's ridiculous. So, uh, just, he's a, 
People are asking me, oh, but he's a Rangers legend. That means nothing to me. I like, I've dealt with him personally. And I've just no time for him. He's a bully. And there's loads of other people have come out and say the same things. He's just he's just a bully. I've no time for the guy at all. No time for him whatsoever. He, he's, he's not been the most complimentary towards Rangers since since he left anyway. And uh, he's, he's punditry for me is what put me off him. Has been no of the best, well, no the nicest of people, but he's not. Uh, he's just a bully. He's, okay. he's fully selling on. He's I mean, just no respect, no player. respect for anybody. Uh, he was obviously a phenomenal player, but I think as a person, um, I think what you're saying here isn't he out with what I've heard. Uh, I, I, I say, there's, there's many other boys that have played under him. Will tell you exact. Will say the exact same things, whether it be years before me or years after me. It's it's just the same behaviour. So after after Motherwell, you, you sort of kind of you, you had a wee bit of a journeyman career. I don't think that's unfair to say. No, 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 that's true. I'd fell out of love with the game completely. That's what I was say. Did, did you did you just completely lose all motivation, all focus, and just, just sort of? I just became scunnered because the way everything happened, all my moves. It's like Albion Rovers change your manager, change your yeah, Jesus. Then Motherwell, Billy, Evans gone magnificent, Billy Davis, Evans brilliant, he leaves, change of manager, you just find yourself clashing heads again, you're, you're just going to yourself, it's, can't be bothered with it anymore, just could not be bothered with it. Do you think if your attitude was, uh, I'm not saying that your attitude was poor, but it's in terms of... shite, I'll be honest, it was absolute shite. But do you think it was better you could have carved out a decent career in the top levels in Scotland? I do believe that, yep. Is that um, another regret that you have? Or? I do, yeah. As I've said many times, you know, other people, I wish I had a head now Aye. to have back then. Where I, there's certain situations where I butted, where I could just keep my mouth shut and just go on my things. And, well, I.e. the Terry Butch thing, I didn't need to get involved in that. Yeah, I know. Just to me, it, it wasn't right at that point and something had to be said and everybody was sitting accepting it. Um, but again, if I just sat and kept my mouth shut, who knows what would have happened? Exactly, exactly. But I, I don't think you've done the, the wrong thing there. You know, you think not. Right. Going now into the coaching side, I think I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm the first one to admit it. Hell of a lot of mistakes. I've done a, a lot of wrong stuff. I've made a lot of wrong moves. But I think now going into the coaching side, I'm actually in a good place to advise people. Yeah. That's where I, I try to use that experience of what I've done wrong to help people to do right, if that makes sense. And that's that's part of coaching that is missed a lot because if you're transferring experiences to younger yeah. boys that, that you've had negative experiences at that, uh-huh. so you can warn them off and, and, and guide them on the right path, that, that's part of coaching that, that is missed a lot. Like my, my brother, who's also a goalkeeper, by the way, he... He actually, I'm a Rangers fan as well, but he brought shame on the family because he gets signed by Celtic. I was there as a young boy, I know I can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the goalkeeping coach there was Robbie Thompson, who's still playing at the moment. That's right, yeah. And Robbie Thompson was absolutely fantastic. But then there was another goalkeeping coach who had never played at the, the level of Robbie. Um, not that Robbie played at a high level, but Robbie has experience. I know what you're saying. Hi. And 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 my brother took a lot from Robbie because Robbie would tell him, look, 
I mean, this mistake, so don't you do that. And then there's this other guy who came in, it's probably only, I can't even remember his name now, to be honest, but he probably only played amateur level, but he obviously done his badges. And he's telling my brother, you know, what he wants him to do rather than what he done. Well, I, I should do it. Ah, exactly. And there's, a, there's a big hanging coaching that I've, I'm doing my B licence at the moment, my goalkeeping B, my A for one, and there's a big thing on it, and it's why. That is, that's the thing that stuck out, stuck out to me. It's not, I want you to do this, but you need to explain why. Exactly. There's, there's not enough explanation. There's just, and I'll be honest, there's too many coaches that just watch YouTube and that a session on, they're not picking up on things or, or doing anything like I've got two great, I'm blessed that I've got two good boys who are different ends of the spectrum. I've got Greg who's been there, done it, fucking experienced boy, but you can still have chats with him and yeah. talk to him and go over things and he takes everyone on board. He's brilliant. And I've got Ryan who's um, came for the juniors, I brought him down for the juniors, we got him in. Um, he's not put a foot wrong, to be fair, it's just that Greg's been so well, but his attitude's been brilliant and I do more coaching with Ryan as I do with Greg, if that makes sense. Oh, I'm, I'm more a trainer and motivator and an ear for Greg, whereas I'm a coach for Ryan. So I've got a, a dual role with both of them, but it works and it's good for me. I know it, it keeps me going. I've got two different situations to deal with, two different boys, and I enjoy that. I enjoy the challenges it, it, it brings. It comes down to no every day is the same. Oh, it's no, it's no. And that, that's a massive part of obviously being it's happy. Same, my, my, my main thing when I'm working with goalies, they need to trust you. That, that's my main thing. Um, so I need to show them that they can trust me. I'm not asking them to trust me. I need to prove it to them first before mm. anything. So for me, it's no, I'm not going to go in there and say, you're doing this and you're doing that because I said so. It's my way or no way. I give them input on a lot of things. Um, We'll speak about things and I'm doing drills I'll explain why I'm doing it and I think that's key to it so that they understand the situations mm-hmm. No absolutely before we go into your move to Annan as a goalie coach obviously yeah. you, you, you played a, um, around the junior game for a while but you actually ended up manager at Falthouse United yeah. how, how did you find that going for player to manager I know you've done both it's kind of player manager role did, did you play yourself a lot or were yeah. you... when I first took over I had to play which wasn't easy so I brought my Combine that. Um, it was just the situation was three quarters away through a season. Um, I had to play the first few games and stuff, and I brought my mate in who's also a manager of Dunny Pace and stuff, Alan Prosser. So I brought him in to help me on for him to be in the sideline and just be my eyes basically, and I trust him on the stage. So I had to do that. So we had to see that season out. It was a disaster. Um, and I just, come the end of the season, I just stripped it right back. I said, right, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this right. I can't play. I need to, and I get rid of every player bar two, uh, Boy Aiden Ward and Sammy Watson. They were only two that were my kind of players, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. They were just, so I stripped the full squad back and just brought in boys that and who I knew and who I could trust to play um, and it worked well because that season I took over, over we got relegated and we came straight back up so it all worked out very well and I didn't, I brought in another goalkeeper, a good pal of mine, J.C. Hutchison, 
So I had experience in goals, somebody that I trusted, um, and I could work with in training as well. So I still had that wee bit of goalkeeping coaching with me. I had uh, David Dunn as my assistant as well. He took the players, so I was still doing the goalkeeping stuff. And then as the season has been on, we fall to it. Just wee things were starting to niggle away, dealing with committees. You're trying to get it to a place. Most of the boys and myself that I brought in have all came from a professional background. Yeah. So you're trying to install that into the club, and when you feel the club's not pulling the same direction and get the same ambition, it just it was becoming very, very stale. And then that was the decision I just made. There's just wee things that kept happening in the background with committees and interfering with player stuff and just wee things that I couldn't be bothered with, to be honest with you. Well, that's that's what I just decided to call it a day. I, at junior, there's a massive difference between junior football and professional football in terms oh, of who actually runs the club. And as you say, it's almost almost um, always a committee at junior teams where you need to answer to four or five different people. And um, the, the people who have, I suppose it could be like a, a board of directors in a way, but the people who have yeah. the most power, if they want something to happen, it's going to happen regardless of what anyone else says, regardless of even what the that manager says. Season, that, the first full season we got uh, promotion, the Faltus did operate like that. It was a full committee. So everything you asked for or went to them for, it was a committee decision. But the second season, it was just one guy who's no got football, never been involved in football, no got football background, doesn't know football, making the decisions, and it just became so draining. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So you obviously you got the the job, your current job at, at Annan. How how did that come about? It was that. It was a mad week. I just. The beginning of that week, it was a Monday. I'd agreed that I'd go and play with Royal Albert for one last season, one one last hurrah. My mates a gaffer there, uh, Stuart Thompson. So I was like, hey, I'll come and do your turn. I'll play the season out with you. I was like, not a problem. I was like, I just like to go enjoy a wee game, just enjoying football. But the season before that, as uh, I got, I went into Drum Chapel, but. His goalie coach, I enjoyed it, but the season was just mucked up with COVID and stuff. Aye. Um, so it, was, it wasn't the same. Um, so obviously I agreed to go to Royal Albert and play, just play for a season. Then the Thursday, my mate Eric Phillips, uh, Dumbarton goalie coach, hmm. he phones me and says, um, Anna and I are looking for a goalie coach. If I'd be interested, I says, aye, Anna. I said I had been interested in a chat, so the Thursday night, um, Peter Murphy, the gaffer, and informed me with a good wee chat, and he said he'd phone me back on Friday, so it was uh, Royal Albert's first pre-season game that Friday night against Les Mahago, so I've no, just bef- I literally just pulled up to Les Mahago's part, and Peter Murphy had phoned me, and he's like, We'd like you to come on board. Would you like to start tomorrow? Jesus. So I had, wow. So, I, so I'm just, this is before I've even got out of car to go and play. That's, you can't say no. Yeah, it's a, a step no. in the door at senior football. It's what I want. Um, but I just, I thought it'd be a wee bit down the line, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that opportunity comes up, you can't say no. no. So I'd agreed. So I've actually got out of the car, walked across the pitch, and I've had to tell. Uh, the boys' the situation was like, I can play the night, but it's like, after the night, I start with, down there tomorrow. So 
we then played the game, we won one nil. I've had an absolute world of a save. So I actually feel no bad here. Right, so they're not one you go either. Aye, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that was a first clean sheet for a while too. So I, I was buzzing off that, but also buzzing that I get my first step back into the senior game where I feel I've got a lot to offer and a lot of unfinished business. I know, I've, if I'm being brutally honest, I feel I cheated myself out of a senior, a decent senior career. Um, well, that's, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what what are your ambitions? What, what is it you want to achieve? Uh, are you just taking it kind of season by season now, or do you have a long term goal? Long term goal is to go full time and be the best goalie coach that I can be and be as fully qualified as I can be. Um, I'm not I'm not going to hide that, but that's got to take time. I'm I'm earning my trade now. Um, I'm learning my trade. Is should I say? Um, I can't thank Cannon enough that the club are unbelievable on and off the pitch. Um, we're having a good season as well. So at the moment, I've no like, plans. Even even the now just suits me with, with Annan. And it will do for a wee while, if I'm being brutally honest. I just love having about it. People are love to travel. I've suffered, suffered from mental health, as everybody knows. And the travel's good for me. They are getting in your car, driving... Just having that bit of your time and switching off, just going a wee drive, that's good for me. So, Avon ticks, ticks all the boxes that are for me. As I say, the club, they, they couldn't be any more welcoming for day one if they tried. And obviously, they're looking after me, doing my badges and stuff as well. So, I owe them a lot. I've got a lot of work to put in and I want to give back to them as much as I can. See, see obviously, just on, on the mental health aspect of things, obviously, yeah. being a- being a player and going through the experiences you went through, um, transitioning into a coach, so you can kind of see both sides of the the the, the argument or both sides of the situation. What, yeah. It's no it's no perfect mental health in football. Um, uh-huh. What do you think can be done to make it a lot more better to give more voice to it? Because the obviously we had the situation last season with the boy. I can't even mind his name now. I can't even remember what team he played for. But basically. The the other player says to him on the park, um, I hope you kill yourself, and he'd actually try to kill himself. Um, that, that was that's what it is. And then obviously he he went on to Twitter after it. He left the game pretty much straight away. He walked off the park and on to Twitter made a video about it, and that got so much press. Sky Sports News picked it up, and I was really happy that it got the press. But it should never have came to that because. That lad that said that to him is obviously not educated. He's no. also trying to wind them up. Whereas the education should be where it should be the absolute most important thing when it comes to mental health. Because I've suffered it myself, and I'm not going to make excuses for anybody who doesn't know. If if you don't know, you don't know. And if you're uh, trying to wind somebody up about their mental health when you're not educated about it, you're sort of kind of innocent in a way, but you also know what you're doing. Whereas if uh, that education is there, you're saying million percent correct. I think there's got to be more done. The senior game, there should be somebody at every club for especially young boys. Um, there should be... We're lucky, and we've got Libby Faye back on side, who's absolutely amazing. And I've said it in many other interviews, that if it wasn't for Libby, I wouldn't be here. That's the brutal truth at all. Um, we're lucky, and we've got Libby round about the club all, quite a lot. So, like, a kind of well-being officer's kind of thing? Yeah, she is, yeah, yeah. So, for me, that should be rolled out to every club. Every right. club. 
um, because you know, football's all ups and downs and people deal with it differently. Jeez, I, I remember my weekend, see if I get beat, my weekend's ruined, it's gone, my head's gone and See, I'm just that as a fan if Rangers drop points like I'm the same I'm again moods on all you'll you'll see my Twitter rants and that and all and that's passion but but for oh the example that I keep going back to is when young boys get released, that's a hard, hard time. No. That's that rejection is a hard thing to take. Yeah. Um, touch I was fortunate enough I've I've had what managers say, oh, you're, um, you'll not play young goalies or anything, but I was never that young boy, wasn't good enough, and that's not me being big head, I've just never experienced that side of it, but looking for the outside in, that must be so hard to take, because mm. I know what it's like to take as a player getting told you're not playing because of somebody else, imagine getting told you're not getting your job because you're not good enough in their eyes. Aye, and you're only a young boy. Aye, that's, that's a lot, a lot, for a young boy to take on. And no. I think every club should have something in place. If you're going to release a boy, have somebody there for him. Have 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 that in the background where we're going to release you, but we're also going to support you. There's no support mechanism after that. No, I, I think a few agree. clubs are starting to bring it in a wee bit, but it should be compulsory at every club. Absolutely. Especially in this day and age. Yes, absolutely. Especially social media. Somebody... Even more so in social media uh, world now, where if somebody gets released, it's all over the internet, so everybody knows that embarrassment Aye. is is there in the public domain. Whereas back years ago, boys could say, ah, I've just, I'm going to go and do this, or I just didn't fancy it. It's actually out in the public domain, the cops saying they're releasing this player. So everybody knows your business and stuff, and that's what I think is more important these days. There should be something in place to support boys. I couldn't agree with you anymore. An aftercare programme for these young boys, uh, it needs to be um, mandatory. Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I've ex- not, not personally, I've, I've experienced it as a brother. When my, when my brother got released from Celtic, they get treated like cattle. And that isn't a slight on Celtic, because Rangers no, don't... Most teams are the same. I, you're just, just a number. You're a number. Exactly. Unless you stick out, you're a number. They get flung to the side. There's no help and support after it. There's no, I will try and get your child here. I will try and get your child there. You're off the books. That's it. You're not their problem anymore. And again, I just want to make that clear. That's not a slight in Celtic. Rangers do the same. Um, and they, they two clubs, Rangers and Celtic, is the biggest clubs in Scotland. They should be leading the sort of kind of... Correct. The, the focus on aftercare. And I hope it is something that's brought in. Um, because it is... A, it's, it's a big thing for me, as I say. Um... Just there's nothing, there's no aftercare whatsoever for the young boys in dealing with that rejection. As I say, that is a, a sore one, especially when everybody knows all your, it's all over social media and stuff. It's it's a hard thing to deal with. It's an embarrassment. I don't care what anybody says. If you get released, anybody will take that as an embarrassment. No, absolutely. Um, just a wee bit more about the, the coaching side. How you obviously came from what I would describe as the sort of original goalkeeping style of play where if the ball gets played back to you you're blocking it up the park you're taking by kicks up to the park you're you're taking no chances if you catch a ball you're you're kicking it right up the park again there's yeah. none there, there was none of this playing out from the back stuff when you started playing um and nowadays 
that that you cannot be a goalkeeper if you're no good with your feet. Um, how have you adapted to that in terms of trying to coach that? If you didn't, if that wasn't your style of play, I was actually not, I was actually no bad with my feet. To be fair, um, was, uh, a few people have commented that most of the time when I played was my passing and stuff. Um, so I say I started to come in a wee bit at the end of my career, but more and more teams were wanting you to play for the back. Um, do you believe in that though? Do you think that's the right thing I to do? Son, yes. Uh, keep possession. Even too many teams that overkill it, but yeah, um, there's got to be a part into it as well. You can't just be playing for the back to say, okay, playing for the back. You can tell the teams that do well there's a part into it. Everybody knows where they need to be. You move it about, and they know what they're doing. But you see a lot of teams. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful to juniors because I love my time with juniors. Probably more than I did at senior football. If I'm being brutally honest. Um, there's a lot of teams that have no get the ability to all the pitches Aye. to go and play that way but they want to play that way that's again that's where you've got to come and go you've got to play to your strengths we play football at Annan but we've got an astral pitch and we've got a team that can do that well that's uh, what I want to say John because obviously I watched you, you guys well I tried to watch you guys play uh, against Rangers a couple of weeks ago it was it was a tough watch in terms of the conditions and the camera uh, angles and all that. First half was white. I've not experienced that in my life before that. But I, I, I found myself like I'm not. I'm trying my best not to sound disrespectful, but at times you were trying to play out from the back, and I just kept thinking, why are they doing that against Rangers? Like surely that isn't the point of the strength. Is that just purely because that's the philosophy and the belief? Don't get me yeah, wrong. That's the way we look at it. If we just go along and keep giving Rangers the ball back. It's, they've just got to be on you a lot longer. But if you're you're playing for the back and it's on to play, like that's the key thing. If it's on to play, yeah, you're keeping the ball for longer and you're taking pressure off of them coming at you. We were under no illusions that they've got to be strong, and obviously their team showed it that night. Um, they showed us a lot of respect, which is fair play. And the second half, I thought we played a lot of good stuff and done ourselves a bit of justice. Um, we, we showed we would try to play football. We weren't just out there to kick balls long and hope for the best. Because no. that's the way we play in the league. So I didn't see why we had to change just because it was Rangers or anything. We weren't expected to do anything. So if anything did happen, it was a bonus. Absolutely. But, but the boys the boys have learned a lot for that game as well, seeing the way Rangers were knocking about, the way they were interplaying. And so it was a good thing for us as well to see the way we want to play and how you can up at a wee level, a couple of levels as well. So, See, see teaching that though, uh, as a coach, like Greg Fleming's probably the best example you could use actually because obviously he came from a time where playing out from the back wasn't he probably... Yeah, he's only a couple of years younger than me, so... Um, how, how's he adapting to the change? And how, how Greg's very good, to be fair. Um, uh, he's good with both feet. But again, Greg, if see if it's rolled back to him, there's nothing on it, he'll just go along. And that's what I like about him. He, he's got, he manages the game. That's what I'm trying to get into. Ryan Adamson, my number two as well, is managing the game. That's where your younger goal is, where you're trying to... Don't just play all the time because you think you need to play all the time. There's got to be times you just put your foot through it and get yourself up apart and then... Yeah, honestly, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Aye. But... Play on at the back if it's on. If it's not, then play channels or 
play into an area where you've got to be strong, where you know you've got to pick up a second ball. Um, that, that's the way we play. And as I say, you watch if you watch some of our games, we don't play out for back all the time. Um, as I say, Greg could get a short pass back or whatever. He's not got. He's no. First of all, it's not to. Oh, I need to play this pass for the back. It's what's what's the safest option here? Yeah. And that that's something that we work on in training as well. And I put on me drills or scenarios where we're chasing down a guy. Do you can you step in there? Can you play? Can you relax a wee bit or can you hit that channel? We'll put wee goals out and try and get them to hit that area we want them to hit. No, you're you're absolutely right. And you know, goalkeeping for me is always been something I'm quite close to because my dad was a keeper and obviously my brother was a keeper and it's the the difference now is uh, uh, it's it's better for the game I think um but I think what you're saying completely makes sense and I, I actually agree with it so much if it's not on don't do it because you are effectively doing what you said just doing it for the sake of doing it which that doesn't make that doesn't mean it's the right thing it could actually be the wrong thing and there was a documentary on BT Sport about goalkeepers I don't know if you watched it I had uh, Rob Green and stuff. If you've not watched it, honestly, no, I've not seen it yet. I'll watch it. It'll be on um, catch up. Uh, is fantastic. Like the insight from like Rob Green and Chris Cutland. Chris Cutland as well. He he's actually very open about his mental health. He wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I've seen a few of his things. I'll need to have a wee look for him. Rob Green was saying to me like commentators and analysts and pundits they don't have a clue if they've not played goal because I watched it last night with, did you watch the Arsenal game last night with Aaron Ramsdale I didn't mate no I didn't so Aaron Ramsdale I was actually at Albion Rovers and Celtic game last night actually well Aaron Ramsdale he did make a bit of an error he was beat his, his, his front post and then you've got Paul Merson after it saying goalkeepers should never be beat their front post and, and Rob Green said that that is the biggest lot of shit he's ever held in his life it's the biggest, biggest it's the biggest myth ever honestly it is. And stuff like that, because from me, from my point of view, where you just listen to people who have played the game, whether they're a keeper or not, you just take that as a fact that goalkeeper should never be at the the front post or the near post or whatever. But when you actually listen to guys who've been there and done it, it, it makes sense that it is a lot of shit because it is essentially a lot of shit. Like, of course, keepers can be beat at the front post because the quality of a player that they're up against means that these guys can do that. And it's it's so interesting to hear keepers talk about the the art of goalkeeping because I don't think there's enough of it to be honest because that's what I'm saying there's no way there's no way that guys like Jamie Redknapp, Paul Merson, even Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, there's no way they should be commenting and critiquing a goalkeeper's performance when they've never done it. So there needs to be for me there needs to be more pundits who have actually been goalkeepers because that and Schmeichel and all that were on doing the pundits because they gave you that other insight into it exactly. And that that's missing from the game. Is that part of the game that you would like to get into at all? Nah, nah. I, I, I'll be honest. I found my thing with the goalkeeping coaching. As I say, uh, I've, I've tried the management. The, the goalkeeping coaching is where I'm passionate about and what I believe in. I've got my own philosophies and how I think things should be done and how goalkeepers should be and whatever. So that's the side of the game that I'm very passionate about. Oh, absolutely. Let's let's round off the chat with a wee chat about Rangers. Um, Not a problem. <laughs> um, well, first of all, how was that experience for you to have Rangers? Oh, it was class, absolutely class. 
Because I know John McLaughlin treated you well, and uh, I know you got a bit of stick on Twitter, which I never understood. It's like there's this big kind of complex about guys coming out in the professional game admitting they're Rangers fans. I mean, if you admit you're a Celtic fan, that seems to be okay. But the minute you admit you're a Rangers fan, or oh, that's it. There's it's, this, it's only one side that was doing the, the comments. When exactly. It was, so it's they're triggered. So as I say, um, it was brilliant. What? What I will say is, did I milk it a wee bit? I probably did. I bet you had every Only right. because, we've seen I was a player, obviously got to Ibrooks Park, I didn't appreciate it. And that, that was a regret as well, if I'm being brutally honest. I, you didn't appreciate what you're round about. I was playing, involved in games against Rangers with the likes of Alberts, Moles, Amoruso, Koss, guys like are you almost become desensitive? Uh, oh, I can't even say the word. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And I didn't appreciate it at the time. I didn't get the pictures took. I probably should have enjoyed the moment. And, and you look back, you go, I wish I had a wee something back for that. And just to show that a wee memento of, you know what I mean? Aye. So that's how I took the pictures. And uh, the, honestly, Rangers, for the moment they turned up to the left, couldn't have been any better. And then you read the crap in the press about Jimmy. Jimmy Bell couldn't have been any better if he tried. And honestly, he was an absolute gentleman. And the whole the whole setup, like Tavernier, I'll give, I'll give you one about Tavernier game. Um, there's a wee woman in the background that her club, she does absolutely everything. And I mean everything. And honestly, Susan, she running about trying to look after him. Tav clocked that and although he was on the bench that he clocked that he went and got his top and gave it to her because she deserved it. And I was right. like, no, that, that's a touch of class. class. And he says to her that, that you've been running about after us all day and whatever he's and he just gave her the, the top and I was like that's, that's class. That's proper captain material though. Yeah that's it? why I'll defend him all the time because it annoys me the stick he gets it really does it but even people try to question his ability. No, his no. numbers are ridiculous. No. I've seen a wee comment today that people won't appreciate Tab until he's not here. No. I truly believe that. You're, you're so right. And I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I just, I've just i never truly understood the argument of Tab's not no, a captain. Maybe. He's had bad games in that, but no, he's been there for rock bottom right through everything. And he's never bad-mouthed anybody. And he's always just done it he's always been the same right through he yeah. could he could have went belly big balls or he could have went in huffs here and there but he's never he's always went out in that part and gave his all for the, the jersey that's a captain exactly he'd be the big leader and shout and scream at people he leads by example no i, I totally agree with you um i'm a big fan of tav as well um and i'm Probably guilty of what you just said, though. I, I love Tav, but I probably don't appreciate him as much as I should because when he goes, we're gonna we're gonna feel that a lot. Um, uh, he's, I say numbers are ridiculous. He's a goals. It's scary for a right back, and he still gets stuck. And you're going, come on! If you've known the game, man, he's that's no fluke. That's over years as well. It's consistent. Yeah. It's yeah. not just a one-off. It's consistently doing it. It'll be interesting to hear your opinion on this because as a goalkeeper, um, you, you'll know a lot more than most people who have opinion on this, but what's your opinion on Alan McGregor? 
is it a season too far for him? I know that that save against Red Star, that penalty save is probably the best penalty save I've all seen a Rangers keeper make. I've got to be brutally honest, I think he can be managed a wee bit better this season. Um, I think when he plays in Europe on the Thursday, I think it's probably best to leave him out at the weekend just because he's body and whatever. Is he massive for us in Europe? I, but I'm a big fan of John McLaughlin as well. Not just because I got his top and all that. He's never put a foot wrong. No, he's never. No, he's he's uh, he's pretty much the modern day Neil Alexander, John McLaughlin. Aye. Um, as I say, he's never put a foot wrong. I think we could manage him a wee bit better. Like say, if McGregor plays tonight, I'd I'd leave him out at weekend. That's just my own personal opinion. I just think the two games within so many days is a bit much for him, especially if he's at his age and he's been toiling, maybe niggling injuries here and there. The one, the one thing I don't understand about the criticism McGregor gets, though, is, and maybe you can give a wee bit of insight into this, but the, he's always getting criticised of, oh, he needs to come for that, or he's no, he's stuck to his line. But he's always been that type of goalkeeper. So why, at 40-year-old, are Rangers fans expecting him just to change his game completely? I'll be honest. I'll see if I'm going to be brutally honest. Rangers fans are doing my, doing my head in at times. They do... Last season, I think everybody was spoiled because of the season. Yeah. And McGregor's what? You could count in one hand many mistakes he's made his career. Yeah. And I just think, if I'm being brutally honest again, they always look for a scapegoat. Yeah, Lundstrom had it. I'm a massive fan of Lundstrom. I get pelters for saying he's a player away at the start. He was just out of position. And then sure enough, Gio comes in, puts him into... He's holding midfielder role. <laughs> the guy's a joke. Both feet, zings the ball about, gets stuck in. Hunter's energy. I've always liked him. I call, he's what I would call a shit shoveler. He does a sh- the right yeah. end of the, the game that doesn't get appreciated as much. Only people are starting to realise it now. No, you know, I would agree with that. Um, I, I've always... I mean, there was a time I felt, I'll, I'll be honest, there was a time I felt this isn't going to work out, but I didn't think it would, was exactly Lundstrom's fault. I was more no, along. Aye. He just didn't fit into the system generally for playing. It just, it doesn't fit that, the way they played. But with Gilles 4 2 3 1, he, he fits that perfectly. Oh, absolutely. Sitting in there being like a quarterback role, basically. So at, at the time of recording, Rangers are playing Red Star tonight in the second leg. Well, yeah three points behind Celtic in the league but we've still got two games to go against them the month of April we're potentially going to be playing Celtic three times twice in the league and in the semi-final what, what do you think Rangers can achieve this season do you think um, well first of all do you think it's more important to win the league than to have a right go at the Europa or... I actually had a sweet discussion the other night with, with Greg actually my, my goalie and a couple of boys in the dressing room and all and I would see for me personally I'll give up the league, win the Europa. You're in the Champions League anyway, if you win the Europa. That's bigger for me. You've stopped till 10, so that's the question. I would rather win the Europa, get into the Champions League that way. That, that's, that's just my personal opinion. Oh, I actually agree with you because I don't it's, think... It's more... It's more um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's more recognised to win... The Europa League that is to win the SPL, let's be honest. For me, it's for me, it's simple. I look at the teams left in Europa, and not even Barcelona scare me. I think we could. I think we could. I'm not saying we could beat them, but I think we could hold uh, them. Well, 
Galatasaray drove them, didn't they? Galatasaray are sitting 11th in their league. Exactly. I don't think Rangers are ever going to have a better opportunity of going as far as we could potentially go in Europa ever again. I think this is the best opportunity we're ever going to have in the modern game. Oh, definitely, definitely. And if we were to do it, I know this is all kind of hypothetical, but if we were to actually achieve that, it will never be done again. So I would take a once in a lifetime achievement over something we could do every year. Ah, million percent. That's, that's, that was my uh, argument as well. Um, give me the uh, Europa win all day, every day over a week. But as a Rangers fan, and you'll notice, I want both. <laughs> ah, you want both, but if if you were given that choice, what would you prefer? You're taking the Europa all day long, in my opinion. Anyway, so you get more money for getting to the final, more money for winning it than you will winning the SPL. Exactly, and as you say, for winning the SPL, the reward is the exact same with winning the Europa, both ah, for yeah. the group stages. Of the Europa, you've got more financial, a more financial windfall off it. Exactly. Um, no, it's, it's it's certainly exciting times. Um, I'll just ask you as a final question: Would yeah. the absolute pinnacle of your career be getting a job with Rangers? Oh, that that that'd be a dream. But uh, uh, I know um, it's really not uh, too far ahead. But is that is that what is that would that just be it for you? Aye, aye. I'm, I'm a, it's my boyhood club, and it's a team I've supported all my life. Still support to this day. I don't hide it. Um, but if I ever had an opportunity to work at Rangers, it'd be an absolute dream come true. Uh, um, I genuinely will be keeping an eye on your career, mate, and I hope that it works out that way. Um, but honestly, it's it's been a fantastic uh, conversation with you. It's no, cheers, Chris. I appreciate that, mate. It's been a, I enjoyed it to be honest. Uh, so so much insight, so many stories. Um, we could probably talk for another couple of hours, really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Andy Gorham's a podcast on its own, isn't it? Oh fuck, yeah, isn't half honestly? <laughs> no enough fools my day for him. <laughs> honestly, an absolute gent. Aye. Obviously he's got his demons and stuff, but I couldn't say a bad word about a guy to be honest with you. Nah, he's he's, he's a complete. Well, let me. I'll ask you that question. I'll, I'll, this this will be the last question I'll ask you before we go. Yeah. Who's the greatest Rangers keeper ever, McGregor or Gorham? See, I'm, there's a lot of people. I would go McGregor because he's the longevity. Aye. And he's done it in more bigger games. Uh, just a long for his sheer longevity, McGregor's done it longer. Uh, the, probably made more bigger saves if you add them all up. The, the argument that's put to me is McGregor's the best ever, but Gorham had the best ever season. Uh, See that that season, McGregor's had seasons. Uh, that's my argument to it. Yeah. Um, that's McGregor for me. No, uh, it's McGregor for me. I'd as well. even put Klaus up there. Klaus never put a foot wrong with us. I, I would have Klaus in the top three, but he's a Aye. distant third for McGregor and Gorham for me. McGregor, Gorham, Klaus. Aye, that's, uh, that's how I would go. That's how uh, I would. Chris Woods. Chris Woods is my first ever hero, so he's got to be up there with him. Uh, I'd probably put Chris Woods and Klaus in the same bracket. No, absolutely. Um, I, I would actually agree with that totally. Um, but John, thanks very much, mate. You give me your time. You give me so many good stories, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this will absolutely love listening to the the, the insight and the stories and the the journey that you've been on because it's quite a unique journey. You know what I mean? So thanks. Uh, it's not a straightforward one, put it that way. <laughs> but they're, 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 they're the best stories. <laughs> well, as I say, I, I just try to use. I've not had the bet. The best of careers what I should have had, as a lot of people like to tell me. Um, but I'm use I try to use that now in my coaching. 
and my experience to help develop the next generation, hopefully. So I'll try to use what's happened bad to turn it into a, a positive. No, absolutely, mate. Um, so thanks very much for that, and I'm sure uh, the listeners will appreciate it as well. Oh, thank you, Chris, and thanks for your time as well, buddy.